Welcome to the Wretched Hive Podcast. I got a bad feeling about this. Moss Eisley Spaceport. What are you talking about? You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. This is ridiculous. You must be cautious. Actually, we're just a bunch of guys talking about Star Wars and other stuff. I'm looking forward to having some real talk with some real folks. That's good news. I like the sound of that. Hey, and welcome to another episode of the Wretched Hive Podcast. My name is Steve Baldwin, and you have found our Saturday Mandalorian review show. This one is for Season 2, Episode 3 of The Mandalorian. And uh, on the show today, we've got, uh, of course, several co-hosts of the show joining in. Greg Lent, welcome. Yo, yo, Thank yo. Thank you for waking up. Thank you. And uh, Mr. Lifelong Fan himself, Scott Ivansky, is with us. Hey. Dave Potter, up on a Saturday morning. Unbelievable. Keeping this, keeping the streak alive, Steve. Keeping the streak alive. And special guest. So happy to have this man on the show. It's been a while since you've been on the show, Mark. Uh, Mark Morita, uh, among many other things, a docent at Rancho Obi-Wan. Mark, thanks for coming on. Yeah, excited to be here. All right, guys, we are jumping into season two, episode three of The Mandalorian. This one is titled The Heiress. It dropped Friday, November 13th, 2020, written by Jon Favreau, directed by Bryce Dallas Howard. I was thrilled to see her name at the end of this episode in in particular, and we'll we'll get to the whys, who, of course, um, Bryce also directed chapter four, which was Sanctuary. From season one, a lot of us talked about that we we. Yeah, I I, I think the consensus is that amongst the the five of us proper, Mark will get his uh, opinion here in just a second. That was the weakest season of episode one. The, weakest but episode. not but not the fault of the director. <laughs> totally the fault of the director. <laughs> <laughs> uh. <laughs> Mark, what did you have? What did you think of uh, before we jump into this episode? What was did, did you have an opinion about? Um, about Sanctuary from season one. Yeah, I, I, I was a fan. Uh, you know, I think it was that uh, we stepped away a little bit from, you know, we took our, you know, our foot off the pedal a little bit on episode four, but I was still a fan. You know, yeah. the ATST was amazing. Big fan. Love the, you know, uh, the Spotchka. I mean, I'm going to, that's like everyday vernacular now. Right. So, <laughs> yeah, I'm all about the Spotchka. So it's hard for me to, to hate on Sanctuary. Yeah, fair enough. It it made me think about, you know, watching this episode, which I'll just say straight up at the beginning of the show. I loved this episode. I I think it's a very strong episode. Um, I I think it made me think twice about uh, episode four um, uh, Sanctuary. I want to go back and look at I have a I think I'm getting an appreciation for her style that some of the touching, more sort of human moments that she brings to the characters that were really apparent in Sanctuary, that maybe because it was such a divergence from the first three episodes, maybe that's why it felt a little off. But it might be worth going back and looking at that one. I, I just want to start with high-level reviews. Greg, um, what did you think of this episode? Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Uh, from from beginning to end, uh, I, I was... I did not know going in that this was going to be the Bryce Dallas Howard episode. And, and honestly, uh, fairly or not, I, I was kind of side-eyeing that she was coming back to direct another episode. 
But I saw it at the end, and I was like, wow. She, you know, yeah, it makes me want to go back and see if I, there's another appreciation I can get on Sanctuary, because I, I, I personally have done that, the ATM episode. It just seemed like an episode of a, of a weekly 80s TV show. And complete redemption on this one. Loved it from the beginning end. I did feel like I needed a primer going into it, though. Uh, I there was a couple things that I had to have explained to me, and it had to do with the the Katie Sackoff Bo Katan character, um, mm-hmm. and things like that because I wasn't the biggest follower of the Clone Wars animated show. So, there you and go. But, and why weren't you, Greg? Like that's a whole I, separate podcast, but really, why weren't you? Because <laughs> there's some there is some good good stuff on the. I'll agree, the content of the Clone Wars varies widely, but the good stuff is really 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 good. Yeah. Right. You guys have mentioned that, and I have resisted it, and eventually I will break down. Mark, what did you did you feel like you had to have the the Bo Katan backstory to appreciate this episode? You know, I, that's that's an interesting question. It's hard when you already have it. You know, like when you're fully <laughs> immersed and you know all about Bo Katan and Pre Vizsla and Death Watch and all of that. And so I I you know I I carry that with me. Um, but I will say that. I'm still a little muddy about timelines still, even after watching that we had to, we, you know, my daughter and I talked, you know, a little bit like, now where is this playing in the, the whole story? Um, so yeah, I could, I could totally see that if you weren't fully aware of who Bo-Katan was, that you might kind of be a little confused. Yeah. Yeah. Scott, so, as- can I, can I ask a question on the timeline thing? So jump in. Let, let me see if I've got the this right. So we we last see both Bo-Katan and and Obi Wan, or we should say we most recently saw them in the uh, Clone Wars season finale, right? The Siege of Mandalore storyline, which takes place concurrent to Revenge of the Sith, right? Okay. So you contrast how much Obi Wan aged between that point and the beginning of A New Hope. And dude looks like he's like 97 or something in A New Hope. And then you contrast that with Bo-Katan, who I don't think was significantly different age-wise from Obi-Wan in The Clone Wars. And Katie Sackhoff is younger than I am in The Mandalorian, which takes well, place several years after A New Hope. Dave, Dave, I got to— Is that what you're talking about with the timeline confusion, Mark? Because that kind of stuck out for me. Like, uh, Dang, I, she looks good. <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, I, I didn't even get that far. Uh, okay. Yeah. I went down a rabbit hole. I'm sorry. Yeah, well, this okay. this may be a retcon, and Scott, I'll hand this off to you, but but Obi-Wan spent 20 years in the Tatooine desert. That's going to do something to your, yes. to, your, to, to your physical appearance. Scott, did I steal your thunder there? <laughs> 100%. That's, is that what you're sorry, saying? You stole his crate dragon, Steve. I needed to add something because Dave mentioned the last time we see her as Clone Wars. That's not true. We actually see her uh, in the end of Rebels, is it? Is it? Well, I amended it to say what I meant was most recently saw her. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, Scott, high-level opinion on this episode. What did you think? God, we are going to have a shocker moment here. I, this is unheard of, unfounded. I, I cannot believe this is going to happen. I'm building this way too much. I agree 100% with Greg. This is, wow. This How is the best episode this season. It it knocks number one or episode nine out. And um, I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And Mark, I, I wanted to point this out. You made some great points there. I thought about that as well. Do you need to know all this backstory, this back history with the Clone Wars? And I know we're going to get into a little more in depth about it. I didn't feel that way. 
Like I like how they introduced her and the Death Watch characters. I, I'm sorry, the uh, Night Owls. Um, and then her explanation of Death Watch, I like how she changes it up a little bit. It's not a change from the history. It's just adding a different way of saying it. And I like that. She just calls it The Watch. And, mm. and we'll get into some of that too. But I really liked her character. I like the Empire that's still there. There is so much in this episode to absorb. I'm so happy. And then we get a big reveal, which I know we're going to save for a little bit later on the show. So Yeah, and I, I have a question about uh, the Empire and how those those clone, the yeah, stormtroopers, the sh- there were some shiny-looking new stormtroopers there. So I, I've, got a, I've got questions about the state of the Empire. Did, did the well. helmets look a little different to you guys, or was that just me? The helmets ah. looked a little, a little fatter to me. Mm. Maybe. I'll have to go I, back and look at that. Did, did you notice they also suddenly shot really well in that hallway sequence? <laughs> like every laser <laughs> shot was hitting uh, his, his Beskar armor. Well, so Mando was running directly right, at them, right. so maybe they can hit something as it's getting closer. Well, so was Han Solo at one point, and he didn't have Beskar armor on. <laughs> Mando uh, is not the size of a bantha, so I'm saying if they can't hit the side of a bantha... <laughs> Standing right at one. That was kind of shocking to me. So I think so, that. So, yeah. Dave, this this issue, this uh, episode raised some timeline questions for you. Um, what did you think about the episode overall? I I loved the episode overall. This is uh, I've talked about how I, I view the Mandalorian as kind of like the X-Files where you have standalone episodes, Monster of the Week episodes, if you will, and mythology episodes. This was 150 percent a mythology episode. And uh, it almost pretty much pushes Mandalorian firmly into the category of it's a live action sequel to Clone Wars and Rebels. And if that's what they're doing, I'm 100 percent fine with that. Yeah, it almost felt like to me, uh, you know, there's always spinoff episodes of how you get from Happy Days to Mork and Mindy. Right. And this felt like they were setting up a spinoff series for these what Night Owls is what they're called. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Don't, Don't forget Joni loves Chachi. (laughs) Yeah, crowd instead of three's company. Let you know if I'm. Let me let me back this up. Maybe Mark can help me on this. But Katie Sackoff voices the character on Mm -hmm. Clone Wars and Rebels, right? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And so that was kind of a surprise to me when we saw her, and it makes me still kind of doubt the possibility. You know that Rosario Dawson potentially could be this person um you know i feel like ashley Eckstein has done so much uh, for the star wars community and and so to not give her a shot at the role of ahsoka i know she's small i know her voice is kind of young and i know probably well i don't want to give it away right now but we might be seeing an older version it just made me feel like yeah ashley Eckstein is not out of the picture still Mm. That, you know, that's a good point. I want to touch on that in a little bit later, but I just wanted to point out that Katie playing the character that she voiced and then looking like the character. I wanted to know if the animators actually had that in mind. I mean, not the live action version, but they based that character on her general look because she looks so good. Like that, I saw this when they came down on that barge. I seriously, I freaked out. I'm like, oh my God, it's the night owls. Like, that was a moment for me. I was like, yes. Yeah. It she, she takes, and she had the scar even. It was yeah. pretty spot on. It was pretty it, cool. it, It's <laughs> even how, even how the character moves. I was noticing it in some of the fight sequences. 
yeah. I was very impressed that Katie was like that. And clearly, that's not an animator decision. That's Katie watching Clone Wars and saying, "Oh, the character does this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do that too." But just little details like that were so, so stand out for me in that episode. Dave, seriously, the the, the thing I went back because I went and did a lot of back like research again watching. Oh, no. You Clips. watched all 165 hours of the Clone Wars after viewing this Friday morning. It's really tough to do in less than 48 hours. So, uh, no, seriously, watching them, even the, the animation where they're flying with the jetpacks and landing, I kind of thought it was just, oh, they're doing this live version. So it's going to have this kind of wire look, you know, that very realistic old school way of filming. But it looks like how the animation was, like the way that they're landing on that barge. I'm, God, Favreau and Filoni and... Again, Greg, Bryce Dallas Howard, holy hell, what that she just jumped way up in my books because we had a very nice discussion about that episode from last season. But um man, just seriously, so good. So well, good. well, let's talk a little more about the visuals in this episode. The opening shot uh of the razor crest as it approaches Trask. I just thought that opening shot was absolutely visually breathtaking. Um, it's descent down into the planet, um, the, the comedic element, a little bit of falling off the barge and into the water. That whole sequence is just beautiful. What did you guys think? Well, it gives me an appreciation for how good a pilot Han Solo really is, because he would never have fallen <laughs> off into the water. <laughs> Mark, you were shaking your head. Uh, oh, well, I, as soon as they land on Trask, um, you know, and you see the the cranes yes, that, are, yeah. that have four legs, you yes. know that's an homage to the Oakland ports where George Lucas got his ideas for the At-At. And it's like this is def this is this is paying homage to that guy right there and saying that's a George Lucas cut, you know uh, for and, sure. And to build on that too, the the sound design of all of that as the as the Falcon as a Razor Crest, excuse me, I almost said Falcon Crest, the old eighties TV show, but the <laughs> Razor Crest as it's descending, you hear the engines failing, reminiscent of the Falcon, and then the cranes that Mark was talking about, you know, completely with all of the ad at sound effects built underneath it the sound design of the show is just amazing it, it, it evokes so much star wars just, you could just listen to the show and and know it's star wars not yeah a, i think i think we even hear an abridged wilhelm scream yeah. um <laughs> oh is that right i missed that yeah uh, the stormtrooper takes one right to the chest and i think we hear <laughs> we hear him do the wilhelm yeah. stormtroopers greg I'm, I'm glad you pointed that out because those sounds Seriously, when you hear the Falcon make that, that he's just about to jump to light speed and the whole thing just whoa, 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 shuts down. I'm like, oh my God, that's Empire right there. Yeah. So Din Djarin, uh hires Mon Calamari, Calamari to fix the ship, uh, which we find out later they use strings and wires to kind of put it together. And then I, you know, I kind of, <laughs> I kind of thought, oh, there's some like, racial ethnic bias from Dinger and he's like, you know, Mon Calamari, unbelievable. <laughs> like bunching them all into one girl. I just thought that well, was a funny little moment. In, in fairness, I think Mando bunches most non-Mandalorian races into that same that same bucket of quasi disdain. Yeah. That they all everybody does something wrong except except his folks and his people. Right. And they they the other Mandalorians kind of call that out like, oh, you're kind of a wow, you're from that extremist faction. You take yeah. it way too far, buddy. Which literally call them zealots. Yeah. 
Right. Like uh, all of a sudden, are we, is, is Mando the, 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 it made me think, well, is he really the good guy? Like there was just this moment of, whoa, this is different. Um, with a different sect that uh, that Bo-Katan doesn't necessarily agree with. I loved the moment, I got to say, again, I got to hand it to Bryce Dallas Howard, with the reunion of the frog couple on the pier. I thought that was really sweet. Um, Speaking frog in subtitles. Down yeah. the Fraggle Rock. Bum, bum, down the Fraggle Rock. <laughs> <laughs> so Din, Din and the child make their way to a pub where they get um, eating machine Baby Yoda a snack. Who gets attacked looking, by look, the food? I looking, was really like the food machine from the first Matrix movie on the Nebuchadnezzar. Oh right! Oh yeah, right. That's good awesome. Pull. That's a really good pull. Um, they meet up with the Quarren, and uh, have the Quarren always been this sort of like evil? Yeah. Are they? Yeah, they typically. I think in the the history of Star Wars, side with I think they sided with the um, the Separatists at, at the beginning, and then. Eventually, just sided with the Empire in wow. general. Now I'm sounding like Mando. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> Damn Quarren. Uh, through through uh, a set of the circumstances, they end up on the Quarren ship as they're trying to find uh, other Mandalorian. And uh, Baby Yoda gets eaten by that huge thing on the huge creature on the ship. Now he knows now how it feels that little like a, bastard. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. The New York times article pointed that out. You know, he was eating the eggs last week and now his egg gets eaten. Um, that moment was like a, Whoa. Cause that creature was so big and took, took baby Yoda underwater. I was scared for a minute for the child. I was legit surprised when it happened. Like I, I should have seen it coming. You know, it's obviously a trap, but I, you know, I was legit surprised when it happened. Look, guys, I, I promise you, the show might as well be called Baby Yoda. So they, they will kill the Mandalorian before they kill Baby Yoda. I'm just throwing that out right now. What, what I found interesting about that whole thing, jumping ahead, just as, just a smidge, just fast forwarding, just a scones, a Scaramucci of time, if you will. All right. The crèche gets destroyed. That gets glossed completely over. Like the little floating protective egg for Baby Yoda. Like that. That's a big deal character element, and it just it's it's trashed by yeah. the end of this. Mm -hmm. What I don't really understand is uh, why is the Mandalorian still wearing Beskar steel? Because it seems like every single chance, every that's like wearing a gold chain in a bad neighborhood, man. It's like you're gonna get got. Um, and and, and they are never, literally looking for the guy in Beskar armor. So it's like every single episode, he's just like they're getting after him every single time. It's like, dude, maybe you should downgrade. Like, <laughs> or right, put right. a cloak over it something something you know just like yeah dress it down a little bit because you know but you, yeah you, you got a great point he even has boba fett's armor he can just swap it out every once in a while just Change. do something paint it do something because it's just <laughs> you're all chromed out you're gonna get got and so um yeah it's, it blows my mind that he's still doing that is that beskar steel no it's not it looks like beskar steel trust nah. me it's not it's styrofoam <laughs> <laughs> really? Because it feels like metal. I'm touching it right now. Mind your own business. Move along, citizen. Yeah. Yeah. So Din and Din is saved by Bo Katan and and uh, her crew of the Night Owls. Um, loved that scene. Uh, anytime we see a Mandalorian flying with a jetpack, it's just so badass. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's just so fucking cool. It is. I love it. I, I, I turned to my wife and I just went, I, I just, I want a jetpack. 
God. <laughs> you know, maybe that was you, Steve. That mysterious person that's been seen buzzing planes oh, on approach LAX. at LAX yeah. in a jetpack. Maybe that uh, was uh, let's uh, let's change the subject, Dave. Um, there's a legal ramification to that conversation. Um, all right, so we learn about Mando's um, sect being more traditional and more orthodox than than uh, this more progressive sect that Bo-Katan is is part of. Um, and I thought that was really that was really interesting. What what would you take? What was your take on that, guys? Um, they call it the Watch, right? Yeah. And so I immediately. You know, my daughter and I were talking and Lily was saying, hey, that's Death Watch, right? So these are the remnants of Death Watch. And so these are people that probably, I mean, they seem like extremist Mandalorians, right? And so it makes sense for it to be a part of that. Um, And it was neat to see how he was so taken aback by them taking off their helmets and that it was... um, that it was an okay thing to do as a Mandalorian. Um, also made me wonder, was that the point where Pedro got upset after reading this script? Where he's like, we have the possibility right now of me being able to take off my helmet more often and I could have a little bit more screen time. Is this my opportunity to be a little bit upset? Um, mm-hmm. You know, yeah, it's funny so. you bring that up because I don't know that as collectively as a group that we've ever really addressed the fact that there are a lot of rumors that Pedro Pascal is kind of, upset with his role right now we haven't talked about that i don't yeah. think at least not while i've been no, around i i'm i i just thought that was bs i just felt like that was a lot of much ado about nothing that that's that was my i didn't hear i mean there was i don't remember reading anything in hollywood reporter or variety about that to me it was like all um and i maybe i, I could be wrong about it but it was like new york post and national Enquirer fodder yeah yeah, we got this covered kind of stuff. Yeah. Right, right, right. So yeah. if, if it did happen, it reminds me of the uh, – I don't know if this is a real story or an apocryphal made-up story that David Hasselhoff, speaking of 80s TV shows, Greg Lent, that David Hasselhoff on Knight Rider got upset at one point in the second season that he didn't have enough screen time and threatened to walk away as the star of the show because he thought it would get their attention. And the producer's response was, you understand the car is the star of the show, right? Like we can have anybody <laughs> drive the thing. Right. I mean, with all due respect to Pedro, like you understand Baby Yoda's the star of the show and you wear a mask all the time. You're really eminently replaceable, right? <laughs> well, what a, seriously, if, if 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 Pedro Pascal is upset because he's not getting enough face time on the show, a really if that's really a thing, what a douche move. I, I'm sorry. I mean, come on, that can't that can't be real. Come on, Pedro. You that, get to wear Mandalorian bullshit. armor to work. Are you kidding? <laughs> I know. I mean, well, he's just coming off of Game of Thrones, right? So he's probably yes. thinking, I'm a beast, you know? I'm yes. all about, you know, like yeah. he's, he's, you know, he's coming off an incredible show and feeling like, you know, hey, I'm Pedro Pascal. Yeah. I Let's, hope that's not the case. I hope, I hope that's not the case either. I just kind of felt like, was this the, was this the turning point? If if it's true, if the rumors are true that he's upset, was this the turning point where he's like, "Hey, I, that. I could I could show I could have more face time." Well, yeah. let's let's throw that out there. If the rumors are true, because I want to get back to the helmet thing with Mark on this. Um, but if that is the case, this would have been the point where maybe they weren't revealing all of the script ideas and where this is going to go, because the story seems to lend itself like he's now being shown 
that he is part of an extremist sect of the Mandalorian history. And this also kind of showed us that his position on that is starting to change. He's seeing things differently. Maybe that will allow him to take the helmet off and we will see more of him down the road. But that as an actor up to this point, you're, that's two, that's almost a season and a half. And you're stuck under this armor as cool as it may be. Cause Greg, I'm, I'm on board with you with that. I'd be wearing that shit all day long. Seriously. <laughs> In fact, I'm going to put it on after the show and freak my wife out. But um, no, just, uh, just for the job you want, Scott, not the job you have. <laughs> but I think that could have been that point. If it was a rumor or not, maybe this is what kind of, stop those tense talks or having him like I know the rumors where he walked off the show he's quitting the show and all that stuff but you know it could have been rumors and this could have been that turning point for him to be like okay this is going to go somewhere where I can be more visible and I I get it he's an actor who wants to be seen but and yeah you're right Mark he's coming off Game of Thrones which was amazing that was an amazing season but you know He's on a killer show and probably some of the best Star Wars content we've seen <laughs> in a very long time. So, Although, why would we want to see his face after Game of Thrones? His his head got, you know, crushed in like a pump, like a pumpkin. <laughs> All of his teeth um, scattered across. <laughs> like a floor. rotted pumpkin. I mean, he must it's look really horrible. Jeez. Seriously, I actually kind of – I know what you said about that, but that is the funniest thing ever. The one time we finally get to see his face on the show and he is mangled – from being shot at and nearly dying. He's all bloodied up. Um, But back to that helmet thing. I love that scene because one of that is explaining that history of the Mandalore, uh, the Mandalorians and how she approaches it. Two things happened to me. And this is why I love Katie Sackhoff playing this role. There is a great moment because you know that Katie Sackhoff's character in the Clone Wars knows who Yoda is. She looks down at baby Yoda and has this unbelievable recognized like mm, wow yeah i didn't even think about that it's so true there go back and watch it if you if you didn't catch it but look again and watch how she sees him and she just has this almost like baby yoda looking at the eggs like whoa there's something there and then when she is being told by man uh, by mando you're not a real mandalorian i love her like I could have just bitch smacked you all over the place because I am an actual Mandalorian, but she calmly explains her history really quick and how he's not a real Mandalorian. I just, I love that. That was putting him in his place. And I think that's the eye opening moment for that character. Good stuff. Yeah. So Mando agrees to help steal Imperial weapons. And before he does that, he's got to put baby Yoda somewhere. Were you guys concerned at all for those eggs? That- oh, Yes. Maybe before you even finish, like you just put the genocidal person with the genocide group of people. Like, yeah, I was very concerned. <laughs> and even when he was playing with the tadpole, you know, at the very end of the show, I was like, keep him away from the baby. <laughs> um, I uh, talk to my mailman every day about, well, every Friday about the Mandalorian, and he had a hot take, and he's like. I don't think he's eating those eggs. He's no. his his take was he feels like he's incubating them or saving them for another day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we had this big conversation about well they're not fertilized blah blah. He's like it doesn't matter with amphibians. You can hold on to them. Who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Wow, it's Mark, that's, that's whether a- or not he's really eating them. You know, I, I, that came up recently re- rewatching this because in this episode, when you finally see the little tadpole hatch and all that stuff, 
I wanted to go back and talk to Dave about this because you guys, you and Greg were talking about how, with this homicidal baby Yoda and all this. And I'm just <laughs> like, you know, those eggs weren't fertilized. It's like he's just eating eggs. I know they're future kids, but they weren't fertilized. So there, there, there wasn't that feeling of like he was terrifying. He's just, it's part of his natural life. It's like watching him eat the frog in, in episode four or whatever from the Bryce Dallas Howard episode. So I don't know. I, I didn't feel the same way. But then watching him play with the thing, I was like, and he, when he's being pulled away at the end and he's reaching for that little thing, I'm like, he's going to grab that little dude and just suck him down. <laughs> yeah. um, okay. So, so that leads us to the action on the Imperial ship that we have to address this. Uh, and we're, uh, we're, we're, we're already almost at 30 minutes guys. So um, the action on the Imperial ship, uh, transport ship great great action here um the shiny stormtroopers i want to i want to talk about that a little bit because at the beginning of the show the the show description for the mandalorian is after the fall of the galactic empire lawlessness has spread throughout the galaxy and i'm looking at this it looks like a pretty organized operation uh it doesn't seem like the empire has fallen really Maybe it's shifted or changed, but has the empire fallen at this point? I I would say fallen is is kind of you know subject to the eye of the beholder a little bit. The empire is no longer at at peak strength, right? If the you know if this was if this was the empire, it's no longer there. Empire is yeah. probably more like about about here. Yeah, doesn't mean that in here it doesn't have still some some strength and some core muscles and things to flex around. But Everybody it's... listening, Dave said, saying they went from a 10 to about a three and a half or four. <laughs> but how, thank, how you, thank you, Greg. I forget that this is not a visual medium sometimes. <laughs> so although the Empire's power or size has has um, been reduced, um, how do they do anything with stormtroopers that, that you know, pe- people just, you know, the Mandalorians go through them like like butter. <laughs> They're just, come on. they They can't defend anything. They can't keep anything safe it's ridiculous the stormtroopers suck as your, <laughs> as, as your frontline defenders come on they're like ants you know they they if you have a million of them you can you can do some damage but you know forget about it if you if you if you want if you have 20 of them to try and defend a case of something no nah, they're they gone. sure can't yeah. hit beskar steel though steel though <laughs> they're but they're like red shirts they're just they're <laughs> dead they're goners I really felt that way uh, that those that group that was in the hallway that like 10 troopers sitting there just all nailed Mando like coming down that hallway. I'm like, wow, yeah. those, they just got really good, really fast. Well, I just I'm a, I want to throw something out here. I'm just spitballing. And you guys, you tell me if you think I'm wrong, because I think I'm the only one here who hasn't watched. Well, Greg probably hasn't uh, watched Rebels either, but it, the I've Dark Saber, the Dark Saber is historically an artifact that you use to denote that you are the, the true ruler of Mandalore. And that's in the hands of Moff Gideon right now, as opposed to Bo-Katan. So what if one of the empire seats of power is Mandalore? And that's where Moff Gideon is based off of. And you're conscripting Mandalorian citizens to being stormtroopers. And that's why they're actually good shots. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is that a horrible really- idea or a bad idea? It would make sense. It's not a bad idea, I, I, but again, it leads back to this episode 
almost being a springboard for so much more. You know, yeah. I said I needed a primer on the history of Bo-Katan, but to be fair, I think they did a really good job of, of summarizing a lot of that stuff very quickly. Now you understand why it's okay for some Mandalorians to take off their helmet and some not, because we've seen a ton of Mandalorians in the past removing their helmets with no problem. So now you understand that in literally 30 seconds of dialogue. Well, so, I, I know we got a great Steve, you really need to have this thing go 45 minutes because honestly, there's a great, I want to just, I'll try and do this super fast. You kind of got the gist that Bo Katan is looking for the dark saber. Obviously she mentions it to the, the head of the Imperial, uh, the guy on the ship there, the commander or whatever. Um, General no name. And she was focused on that in the Clone Wars and Rebels also. She's very focused on on finding the Darksaber. Right. So you might not know that she was the last one to wield the sword, but you know that Dar- that uh, Moff Gideon has the sword at the end of season one. So there is that connection right there. Her inquiring about it and his response leads you to believe that that's her main goal on this, which she quests basically Mandalorian to come along with her on that. And he says, no, I have to finish this quest, which to your point, would leave like to a spinoff show or another f- showdown somewhere down the road in this season, maybe, or f- even farther along. This could be a much bigger story that's developing, which it, it oh, yeah. is. Um, but it does. Did, I mean, did, did that seem confusing to you at all for not knowing the history of Bo-Katan and, and the Mandalorian history? Or is it enough of a puzzle piece that you can kind of see it fitting together? No, I, I, I think I got it, you know. Okay. By the end of the episode, you know, because you see her, you know, deceiving Mandalorian or deceiving, uh, uh, shit, what's his name? I forget what his name I just call him the Mandalorian from now on, but Din, now there's Din. Din, Din. Yes. Yeah. You see, you, you see Bo Katan deceiving Din to get him to come along, you know, saying we're, we just want to get the weapons off the ship. When her whole goal the whole time is to find out what's up with the Darksaber, that's her primary focus. And you right. understand that by the end of the episode. Got it. Yeah. Okay. And she is the heiress. The, she is she is the titular character in this episode. She is the heiress of Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And yeah. she will rule with the Darksaber. This brings us right to the end of the episode, right before Mandalorian jumps off the Imperial battleship um, or the transport. The big moment for me was Mando asking, where can I find the Jedi? And Bo says, take the Fanling to the city of Kaladan on the forest planet of... Corvus. Corvus, and you will find Ahsoka Tano. And so I was watching <laughs> with, um, with the uh, God, I can, I can never remember what the the words, subtitles? the subtitles, captioning, yes. close captioning, caption, yes, the subtitles. Learn that from you guys. And uh, just seeing the name Ahsoka Tano on the t- on the screen was a, was a big rush. Mm. Mark, wh- what did you think when you heard that? Yeah, I mean, we all kind of saw it coming, but it was so exciting to hear that I was going to be in the, probably in the next episode. Um, it'll be, I think it's it's finally time to see Ahsoka really shine and to kind of um, have the world kind of be introduced to her finally. Um, right. You know, it's she's kind of hit the, you know, it was on the small screen and now it's time, it's, it's her time to shine. So I can't wait. It's going to be exciting. Yeah, you know, me never being a big Clone Wars guy, I, I only watched the, the 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 last arc of Clone Wars that came out on Disney Plus last year and saw the the Siege of Mandalore 
and really impressed. Just the whole sequence with her, the fight between her and Maul, so amazing. Such a great piece of Star Wars history now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and when they mentioned the name to come back, I was excited. And again, not not a person who's yeah. a Clone Wars fan, um, and not because I I dislike it, just because I've never seen it and really tried to absorb it. Uh, it real really excited to hear that, and just they're really doing a good job this season of the show to build the anticipation for the next episode. Can't wait to see what comes mm-hmm. with it. Yeah, and I think you're just finally going to get to see saber sequences now. You know, I mean, when you think of Ahsoka Tano, and when I think about why she's so great, it's I kind of feel like lightsaber sequences. I don't know if there's any better sequences than Ahsoka Tano and Darth Maul. Um, and Ahsoka Tano and Vader. Um, Those scenes are just incredible. Um, And so to be able to think that it might become live action with a dark saber, (laughs) it's going to be pretty dope. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, To your point, Mark, I also wanted to bring up um, that concept of Ahsoka and Ashley Eckstein. If if I said that right, Eckstein, Eckstein, um, my apologies, Ashley. (laughs) Uh, I know she's a huge fan of the show, um, but if if that is the case, this is my theory or speculation real quick. If they do anything where she has to explain or maybe flashback sequences, we'll get Ashley as the younger version because obviously it is. Oh, way nice. that, that might be a pretty strong solution to, to the challenge that they're facing of uh, yeah. casting a different actress to play a role that was so clearly established by Ashley in a role that is so critical mm-hmm. to to Star Wars and, and modern Star Wars, cre- you know, character creation. I mean, Ahsoka Tano is really one of the great characters now in Star Wars lore, and that's an incredible accomplishment considering she's never appeared in any of the uh, any of the movies. Yeah. Well, for those of you that have watched and for fans that have watched the um, or listeners that have watched the um, Clone Wars, you know that that ahsoka tano really the clone wars series is really ahsoka's show at the end of the day it's her story and you grow to love and care for that character so much and the fact that it's out of the straight out of the mind of dave filoni uh it just makes so much sense that she is going to be a central character on this show yeah i mean i would love i would love for that to happen has there ever been live action and animation combined better than the Mandalorian is doing right now? It just framed Roger Rabbit. <laughs> I okay, all right, you got me. Then. Uh, this this show is visually so impeccable. I can't I cannot get over it. I just I'll watch the whole thing with the sound off, mm. a- and then at the same time you can turn away and just listen to it. the The production value on the show is just so good. And when you combine it with uh, the storytelling that we're starting to get now, it's really something special. And yeah. I, I just feel so uh, lucky to to be able to see it every week. Yeah, I, I, I agree with all of that. I actually feel like they're doing some really heavy lifting on universe building. And I kind of wonder if uh, Disney's strategy is to kind of mirror what Netflix did with the uh, the Marvel Netflix universe that existed for a brief shining moment of time mm. and trying to build this family of live action shows that all exist concurrently in the same universe and are kind of semi working around the same story structure and, uh, and issues going on. Yeah, that, that's a good point, Dave. I, I, it feels that way because those were fantastic shows. Even the ones that weren't that great, that little moment that you talked about, 
Beautiful. Yeah. Guys, we've come to the end of our time. Mark Marita, really appreciate you coming on the show this morning, getting up early on a Saturday and uh, BSing with us about Star Wars. Thanks a lot for coming on, man. Yeah, thanks a lot. And don't forget to come to the gala next weekend. And I can't wait. Maybe we'll see. Maybe you can ask Ashley Eckstein. Maybe there'll be an opportunity to ask all those (laughs) questions. She will be there. We talked about the the gala on... uh, this week's episode that just dropped yesterday of uh, the wretched hive the episode proper can't wait uh go to ranchoobiwan.org forward slash gala 2020 to get your tickets 30 bucks gets you Off in. the top of your head no people. notes there steve impressive uh, <laughs> <laughs> the other day so um guys thanks a lot for coming on uh have a great week we'll see you next saturday to review episode four of season two of the mandalorian until then steve for greg scott dave and mark signing off have a great week and until then may the force be with us all